0: Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Before I get started this morning, I want to, uh, I got a phone call from Pastor Steve that I felt like I was, I was very honored, and it, and it really honored our church. And uh, how many of you have gotten a chance to go out to dog days that we do on Wednesday nights? A few of you. But it's an, incredible, it's an incredible opportunity that we have, and we just get to go to an apartment complex that's back here off of Wilshire. And we just go in there, and we give away free hot dogs and chips and a drink. And uh, it's just an incredible ministry, and the Lord has blessed us to be able to do that and give it away absolutely free. And <clears throat> this is what Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve called me and said that, you know, if I, that I might want to go by that apartment complex because they've called him about three or four times, and he was in general conference and wasn't able to accept their calls. And when he was calling, they were had already left work and whatever. And so I was just like, okay, well, he called me back and said, never mind, I got a hold of them. And he goes, you're never going to believe this. He goes, they asked us as a church if we would be interested in doing an after-school program at the Air Apartment Complex. Listen, it's one thing for us to go into a community and say, hey, can we give away free hot dogs, chips, and a drink at your apartment complex? But it's a whole completely different story when they see the ministry that we're doing, and they're asking us for more. We didn't ask them to go in there. They're asking us to go in there, and what an incredible blessing and an incredible opportunity that's going to be for us to be able to go into that apartment complex and, I, and offer after-school program, and so Dustin is leading that up, and uh, he's going to come up with some things that we're going to be able to do after school and stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of Hispanics back there, and some of them don't speak really good English, and so we may offer some English, you know, as a second language and some different things like that, and just be able to minister to people. You know, and we've got this warped view as Christians of what ministry is, and we think that we've got to go out and cram Jesus. This is, this is free, by the way. This isn't in my notes. You get this absolutely free. But we think that we get, this, we get this mentality that we have to go and cram Jesus down everybody's throat. But ministry is helping people. Ministry is providing needs for somebody. How can you tell somebody that's starving, how can you tell them how good God is, unless you first take away their hunger pain? Unless you give them something to eat. How can you tell a naked man how good God is in your life and how good God is in their life when they don't have clothes to wear? And ministry is just providing needs. People have needs and, provide, and, and when, when, when we're able to meet those needs, that's where ministry happens. And uh, I was I was at a church in Scotland, in Dunfermline, Scotland, and there was a youth pastor that was there that I was interning with, and... Uh, he had, a, he had a Friday night soccer program, and he had 160-something teenagers come out to play soccer, what they call football, the true football, they say. Because you play it with your feet, it makes sense for that to be called football, right? Okay, anyways, that's what they say, just something funny. But they had this, after school, they had this program on Friday nights, and they started it at 7 o'clock, and they went till 11 or 11.30, and they did it every Friday. And teams came, and they competed, and they had tournaments, and they had a champion at the end of it. And I was like, man, that's cool, that's cool. And, and he said that that's what they were doing in lieu of Wednesday nights. They didn't have church service on Wednesday nights, their youth ministry. That was their church service. And they got the teenagers to come out and help and volunteer as coaches and refs and sideline judges and help get everything set up and all of this stuff. And he goes, you know, Woody, people look at me and think I'm crazy. Because they say, oh, okay, so after you're done playing soccer, you get them all together and you have a service, right? And he goes, no. He goes, well, you know, you at least give an altar call for salvation, don't you, after you get done playing soccer? And he goes, no. He said, Woody, people have a hard time realizing that that's ministry, but the way that I look at it is if I can take for one night On a Friday night, if I can take a teenager that would have been out drinking or would have been out smoking or would have could have gotten in a car wreck or could have gotten high and it could have killed him or could have had premarital sex. If I take a kid that could have been doing all of those things on a Friday night and I put him in a safe environment where Christians are in charge of it and they play soccer all night long, I have done my job as a minister. And that has just transformed my life. And that's what I try to think about. And I'm so glad that I'm involved in a church that doesn't just do the normal ministry And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with just the normal ministry that happens because that's needed. But there's so many people already doing those things that it's time for us to step out and do something different. So that's going to be an incredible opportunity for us to be able to go into that apartment complex. And so uh, I know Dustin's probably going to hit y'all up at one point in time and ask y'all to do something or lead a class. And just be willing because that's an incredible time for us to be able to minister to that apartment complex. So let's just pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word today, Lord Jesus. I am humbled that I get to speak your word, God. I just ask that you would just allow me to be an oracle for you, Lord, and to speak only your words, Lord Jesus, this morning, God. I just ask that you would tune the ears of the listeners, of the people here today, God, and I just ask that you would allow them to hear your voice, not mine, Lord Jesus, hear what you're saying to them today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Pastor Steve, you know, if you don't know anything about Pastor Steve, he is he's very, 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 organized. And so, you know, when he asked me to speak, I'm talking like eight months ago, okay, when he said, hey, Woody, can you preach on August 2nd? I was like, sure, you know, and I just began to wrestle with God and uh, I don't know if you guys ever wrestle with God, but as a preacher, I, I wrestle with God a lot, going into his presence saying, God, what do, you want, what do you want me to speak? God, what do you want me to share? And I believe that God put this sermon on my heart, and I believe that if you'll let it, it'll minister to you this morning. But I want you to hear where my heart's at. My heart is not condemning to you. I don't want to condemn you. I don't, want to, I don't want you to think, oh, Woody's up there, and he thinks he's got it all together, so he's preaching to us, trying to get us to get it all together. That's not true at all. We're all in this together, and I'm preaching this to myself as well. And if you don't know anything, and if you've never ministered the gospel, there's one thing, and John, I know you know this, but before you speak a sermon, the Lord absolutely rakes you over the coals on whatever you're talking about. Doesn't he, you, John? I mean, just, you know, the month before you speak, I mean, he's just, he's working you over. And so he's been working me over on this, and he's still working me over on it. And so I don't, I want you to hear that I'm speaking this word in love today and not condemnation, okay? But I want to talk to you this morning about the modern Pharisee. And I believe that too many times I see Christians, and they've become what I like to call the modern Pharisee. You see, the Pharisees were an arrogant and self-righteous religious sect back in the Bible days. And uh, I think way too many times we tend to act just like them. And that makes us a modern Pharisee. And I want to just speak with you just real briefly this morning about how to not not be a modern Pharisee. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. If you didn't bring them, that's okay. We pro- we uh, provided on the screen for you, and um, is it? Can I just brag on? Can I brag on Fuse just a little bit? Was that worship not just incredible? That's what we have every Wednesday night. We didn't just bring in some people to lead worship and say that's our worship band. No, that's our worship band, and Heather does an incredible job. She's my worship leader. Listen, I don't ever have to think about worship. I don't have to think about whether they're practicing or whether they're doing this or doing that. I just let her have it, and she does it all. She sets the practices. She tells them what time to be here. She picks the set list. It's absolutely incredible. And I'm telling you, not a lot of youth ministries have that, and I'm so incredibly blessed. Listen, when I was in youth ministry, it might just be like you, but my youth pastor would get up with an acoustic guitar and no amp and no microphone and no nothing, and he'd play it. And listen, it was good. And we, and we had some incredibly powerful times of worship, but it's a whole lot easier when, uh, listen, you don't want to hear me sing. I can play the guitar about this much, but you definitely don't want to hear me sing. And so uh, I just brag on them all the time to all kinds of people. I mean, I just, I brag because I, I know that we are very, very, very blessed. So look with me in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 39 through 46, and then I'm going to read verse 52. And it says this, starting in verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Let me stop right there and give you just a little bit of premise. Some of the Pharisees had invited Jesus to come into their house and dine with them, and they got upset because Jesus didn't wash his hands before he sat down at the table. And they got all upset at him and mad at him, and this is the conversation, and this is Jesus' response. Let's, let's start back in verse 40. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. Verse 42, woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice And the love of God, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And then skip into verse 52. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. See, if you don't, if you, if you, if, if you don't know, Jesus had a few f- choice words when it came to the Pharisees and these religious people in his day. And he, he spoke to them, and they, and they, and they said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. And they were insulted and they were condemned. And I don't want you to feel that way, but I'm going to speak some things and I'm going to be blunt with you this morning. But it's not an insult to you. It's to help point out something that we've got to change as Christians because too many Christians become the modern Pharisee. You see, the Pharisees back in the, back in the, in the day, they, what they did is they made it hard for people to serve God. See, verse 52, it says that you have taken the key to knowledge. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. And that's sometimes what we do. And that's what I want to talk about is we've made it hard sometimes for people to serve God because of our lifestyle, because of what we do and the things that we say. We make it hard for people to serve God. And I don't know about you, but. From all the things that Jesus said to the Pharisees, I don't want to be anything like those Pharisees. I don't want to be slightly, I don't even put in the same category as the Pharisees. And I hope that that's your prayer today. And so, man, you guys are going to have to shake it up, loosen up, man. I, you, I'm looking on you guys. You look like you're dead. I know it's 1010 10 on a Sunday morning and you probably wish you were saying in your bed. But just... Loosen up a little bit. It's okay for you to smile at me. You can nod to me. You can tell me if you agree. Tell me if you don't agree. It's all right. But if you just, uh, you know, make me not feel like I'm standing up here talking to somebody that doesn't want to be here, just smile at me every now and then, okay? Is that all right? You guys doing okay? Wonderful. But I just want to talk to you about there's four things that I believe that make up a modern Pharisee. That Christians do these things, and that makes them just like the Pharisees. And what it does is it prevents people from serving God, and what it does is it prevents us from serving God. And the first thing is this. We focus more on the outer appearance than we do on the inner appearance. You see, these Pharisees, they wanted to focus all on the outside, and they had the outside all clean, and they had all the things that you were supposed to have right, they had most of the Old Testament memorized and they knew it like the back of their hand and they could quote you all 613 laws that they had back in those days and they could tell you all of the oral laws that they had created themselves and they were all of the right things on the outside. But God, or Jesus in verse 39 says that, but you're full of greed and wickedness. You clean the outside of the cup. And you clean the rim of the cup and you make sure that it's clean. But the inside of the cup is dirty. And that's what, we, that's what we are. We make sure that the outside is all right. And we make sure that the outside looks good. We know how to put on our mask and make it look like everything's okay. But listen, I'm telling you that there's people that are here this morning that on the outside you look like you're okay. But on the inside you're messed up. You're hurting You need some help in your life, but this is what we do. We put on our clothes. We put on our mask. We come to church, and we pretend that everything's okay. People ask us how we're doing. We say, oh, I'm just doing great this morning. No, you're not. You were fighting with your spouse on the way to church. You were yelling and screaming. You were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. This week at work, it might have been a terrible week for you. You might have gotten to church and lost your heel to your shoe. I'm using that example because right before service, when I was walking up here, my heel fell off of my shoe. So that's why I'm lopsided. But we pretend everything's okay, but everything's not okay. And the problem is, is when you pretend that everything's okay, nobody can see because we believe you. When you tell me that you're doing great, I have no other choice but to believe you. Unless you say it like this, I'm doing great, which is what teenagers do to me a lot of times. They come in on a Wednesday night, and I say, how you doing? I am fine. Well, you don't sound like you're fine. I mean, you sound like you just lost your dog or something. And normally, they'll tell me that they're doing okay, but when I get to the bottom of it, they're not doing okay. But you know what the problem is? A lot of us don't have close enough friends to be able to help us. We don't have anybody that's close enough to us like that. I don't let teenagers get by with that. But the church is too big. Pastor Steve can't stand out there and ask everybody how they're doing. Well, he could, but you wouldn't like that because it'd take you 45 minutes to get out of this place. And he wouldn't like that because it'd be really busy. But what we've got to have is we've got to have people set up, in our pl- set up in our lives that can ask us questions. Like, how you doing? And when we respond, oh, yeah, I'm doing all right. They can say, no, you're not shut your mouth. You're not doing good. Tell me what's going on. I know something's wrong in your life. But what we do is we make the outer appearance just seem like it's okay. But what we've done is our society has taught us that we have to do that. Because if anybody ever finds out what I'm going through, if anybody ever finds out my sin in my life, see, they're not going to love me. But if they don't love you, that's their problem, not yours. Because God loves you no matter what. I said that earlier. And I thought about when when Pastor first talked to me, Love is something that's very big in my life. If you know me, I like to hug people. I like to love on people. My teenagers know that they don't leave service before they give me a hug because I want them to know that I love them, and I want them to feel love because the truth is a lot of us grew up, and we maybe didn't have somebody that loved us. We maybe didn't have somebody that cared about us, or at least we didn't feel like it, and we're all craving for that love. God is that love. But we've got to let people in. We can't just hide it. We can't make, the, make everything seem like it's okay when it's not okay. See, what we've done is we've become robots. We know when to raise our hands. We know when to jump up and down. We know when to get on our knees. We know when to tell the preacher, amen, brother, that sounds good. We know all of these things. We know we come to church on Sunday morning at 9.15 or at 11.15. We know that we do these things, A, B, and C, and that's what a Christian is supposed to do. But on the inside, we're torn up, we're messed up, we're hurting, and God wants to change you this morning if you'll let him. If you'll let God change you, he'll change you. If you'll let somebody on the inside, if you won't constantly lie and make it seem like everything's okay, God will change you. Can you say amen? But the second thing that we do is what we what we do that the Pharisees did is we try to force our traditions on others. Verse 46, come on, I'm stepping on somebody's toe here, toes here. Jesus replied, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. And that's what we do, okay? And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with traditions. We have traditions. My family has traditions. Traditions. My dad, my stepdad used to never let me sit at the table with my shirt off or my hat on. If I had a hat on, when I sat down at the table, I had to take it off or he would flick it off of me. That was a tradition. But listen, the truth is God does not care if you wear a hat. Come on. That's good stuff. God doesn't care if you wear a hat. God can minister to you and you can still love God and wear a hat. Listen, I have seen more people with so many tattoos on their body and they got these big old have you seen the earrings that are like this big, you know, and they're, they're like gauged and their earlobe goes way down here and they've got something in the middle, in the middle. I don't want to ever do that. But listen, I've seen people with those that love God so much and their ministry is so powerful. I can't even believe it. But what we do is we want to force our traditions on them. Oh, you can't wear that to church. Oh, you can't come like that. Oh, a minister isn't supposed to do those things. Come on now, we do it. And this is something that I've noticed. I'm only 25, getting ready to turn 26, but I noticed the older I get, the more firm my traditions are, and the more I want to tell people that you can't do that. You see, Pastor Steve told me a story of when he was in youth ministry, because I asked him if he cared if, you know, people wore hats, because I sure don't care, and I don't think God cares, but I asked him what he thought, and he said, no, I don't care, and he told me a story of youth in youth ministry when he was a youth pastor back in North Carolina. And he said these four young men came in to his youth ministry, and they were all wearing hats. He said some of them were sideways, some of them were backwards. Some them, you know how the cool guys do it. You know, I just wear my hat, you know, forward or backwards. But they, you know, they cock it now. You know, that's a cool thing to do. But he said that that's how they, they were wearing their hats. And there was a leader that he had that was an older gentleman, and he came to Pastor Steve, and he said, man, you're going to have to tell them to take off their hats. Pastor Steve said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And when he said that, that young man, that gentleman, went back and asked those teenagers to take off their hats and told them that they couldn't wear their hats in the house of the Lord. And you know what Pastor Steve said? Pastor Steve said those boys left and they never came back because of a hat. Because of something that God doesn't care about. And I know that's a silly example, but that's true. I can take you to churches all across the state of Oklahoma. Maybe not this church, but I can take you to churches all over the state of Oklahoma. That if you're wearing jeans, if I I came to preach just like this and with my long hair, people would look at me and say, no, 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 he's not even saved. I'm not going to listen to him. They'd count me right out. But the truth is, God doesn't care if I wear jeans or shorts or a hat. It doesn't matter. It matters about what's on the inside. It matters about where your heart is. And I've seen people minister that are all look like they're tore up, but their heart is right. But what we do is we force our traditions onto other people. As Christians, somebody gets saved and we give them this book. It's like this thick. And it's called Do's and Don'ts. You can do this, and you have to do this, and you can't do that. Come on. We may not do it, but we do. We may not do it literally like that, but we do it with people. I could really step on some toes, but I'm going to back off. I think you get the point. But we try to force our traditions onto other people. But what happens is when we force our traditions onto other people, what it does is it becomes a burden to them. Somebody just gets saved, and you give them all these do's and don'ts, they're like, whoa, man, how am I supposed to change overnight? And I know God changes us. But there's habits that we have. There's things that we've done our whole life that sometimes take a while to get right. But what we've done is we've made it hard for people to come to God. We give them this, you've got to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Then you can get up here into the holy of holies and then that's when God can change your life. No. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's done. You are saved. You are going to heaven. It doesn't say all of these things that we like to say people have to do. It just says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. And that's what makes you saved. And that's what we've got to get back to. We've got to quit forcing our traditions onto other people. You see, what the Pharisees did back in those days is I already mentioned to you there were 613 laws. What they did is they doubled that in extra laws, and that's what they would tell people that they had to do. And these were laws that didn't come from God. They were laws that they made up, laws that they created. And what they did is they, it became a burden on people, and it was a load that they could not carry. People couldn't get saved, and that's what we do. So we load people down, and we make it hard for them to get saved. We can't do that. It's very simple. Christianity is not this hard and complex thing. When somebody wants to get saved, you lead them through the sinner's prayer, and you give them one of these right here, and you say, here, you begin to read this, and you dive into this. And when they begin to read this, you let God convict them of those things that you think are wrong and are going to send them to hell. You let God convict them of that. You can help them out along the way, but it's not just like all of a sudden you've got to drop the hammer on them and give them 6,000 do's and don'ts book. Can you say amen? Are you okay? Are you still breathing? I didn't kill you, did I? Do you hear my heart? I'm loving you. I may be saying it firm, but that's just to get the point across because us Christians, we've got thick heads. It's true. Teenagers have even thicker heads. But we've made Christianity way too hard, and we've got to go back, and we've got to stick to what the Bible says and not what we say being a Christian is all about. The third thing is we think we are self-righteous. Verse 43 says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. You see, the Pharisees were prideful. The Pharisees thought that they, because of all the religious duties that they did and all the religious acts that they did, they were better than everybody else, so they deserved the best seat. In the synagogues. And they wanted everybody to be like, oh, brother so-and-so, how are you doing? Let me wash your feet. Let me. And that's what we do. We think that it, we're self-righteous. That's what they did. They thought it was because of something that they did that they were saved. And that's a lot of the times what we do. We think that if we, A, go to church, and if we, B, read our Bible, and C, if we pray while we're brushing our teeth in the mornings like our mama taught us to, Then that makes us saved. Wrong. Wrong. Oh, you can never do anything. Even if we did everything right and we did everything according to what we were supposed to do and all the right things to do, guess what? We still don't deserve salvation. We've got to have Jesus dying on a cross. That's what gives us salvation. But a lot of the times what we do is we're, we think we're self-righteous. We think it's because of something that we do or something that we've done in the past or something that we're currently doing, and that's what makes us saved. And that's what the Pharisees did. They were prideful. They were arrogant. They thought because they had the Old Testament memorized and that they knew all the laws and they did all of this stuff, but the truth is Jesus says that they claimed that they did all of those things, but they didn't do them. And that's what happens when you become prideful. When you become prideful and you begin to think that you're self-righteous, guess what? God pulls out his hand to help. He goes, oh, you can do it on your own, can you? Let's see about that. You go right ahead. Do it on your own. You get to heaven without me. Go ahead. Jesus kind of just waits for us to entertain him. And when we do it on our own for long enough and we fall and we fail and we can't do it on our own, we'll realize that we need him. But what's a whole lot easier, you want me to save you all that trouble? Just let go of your pride. It's not because of anything you do. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you read your Bible. It's not because you pray. It's not because you come to Monday night prayer at the church. And it's not because you give all of your tithe and you don't hold any back. And it's not because you give to the poor and you give to missionaries. It's not because of any of those things. What it's because is because Jesus died on the cross and took the death that we deserved. It's what we deserve. The death that you see. Okay, let me just tell you this right here. How many of you uh, saw the uh, movie... Um, Oh, what is that movie? Passion of the Christ. Okay? I can't help. I mean, I, I don't even like to see that scene where they're whipping Jesus and they're hanging him on the cross. It just breaks my heart. I don't even like to watch it. But you know what? That's not reality. You know what the scripture says? The scripture says that they beat the man so bad that he no longer looked like a human being. He didn't look like a man. When I watch Passion of the Christ, you know what? I can tell that that's a man. They beat him even worse than what you see on Passion of the Christ. And that's what we deserved. But Jesus took it for us. And through that and only through that is the way that we are saved. Not by our religious push-ups, I like to think. What we like to do is we like to think we can do these religious push-ups and, oh, look at me, and I can do these one-handed, and I can clap in the middle of them, and I can turn over 360s. And we think we're all cool because we can do all of this religious stuff and these spiritual acts, but that's not what makes us saved. Jesus is the only way that makes us saved. Do I need to keep going, or do you got it? You got it? We've got to remember that we need him. The only way we are righteous is through what Jesus did on the cross. And that's what we have to remember. And that's what the Pharisees lost sight of. They thought it's because of what they did and not because of God. But listen, the fourth one, and I think this is probably the biggest downfall of the Pharisees. Are you okay? I'm about to wrap up. Tell me I'm okay. Thank you. But the fourth point, and I think this was the biggest downfall of the Pharisees, and I think this is what we do too many times But what we do is we become blind to the Messiah. You see, here's this religious sect, and these are supposed to be the most holy and the most religious people of the biblical days. And these are the ones that are supposed to be the closest to God. Yet when Jesus showed up on the scene and was standing right in the middle of their midst and standing right beside them, they didn't even know it was him. How does that happen? How do these people that are supposed to be close to God and they have all this scripture memorized and they've done all of these things since birth and they haven't done point A, 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 A. You know why? Because they got so focused on the religion aspect of it, they forgot who was the religion. It's God. Religion is about God. But what we do is we get so busy in our lives. We get so focused on this small little spectacle of what we think religion is and what we think holiness is, we get so focused in on that that Jesus can be standing right beside of us, that God can be right in the middle of our presence and we don't even know that he's there with us. You know why I know that? Because I've done it. I go to church, I do my devotional, I pray, I do all of the things, yet there's God and he's Speaking his still small voice, and he's wanting me to minister to somebody at Walmart. And I'm so close to God, yet I fail to hear him. I fail to take the time. Come on, that's a big one. I fail to take the time to hear what God's saying and to do what God's doing. Stand to your feet this morning. If I'll have some guitar players come and play just a little bit. But what I want to encourage you is we can't afford to miss God. We can't afford to be like the Pharisees and let Jesus come and stand right in our midst. And we to be conversating with God, but we don't even know that it's God. You see, it was the Pharisees that really started the uproar. And got really got Jesus to be crucified because they said, This man claims to be the Son of God, but he's not the Son of God. Are you kidding me? And that's what they said. And they condemned Jesus. And they were, it, the scripture always says, And this Pharisee's trying to trap Jesus, they were always trying to trap Jesus and prove that he wasn't right and prove that he wasn't the Messiah. And we don't say that we try to trap Jesus, and we don't say that we do those things, but our lifestyle does them. Bow your heads this morning. God, I pray your conviction in this place. God, I, I, I don't ask for your, I don't ask for condemnation in this place God, if there's anybody that's in this room and they feel condemned, God, I I pray that you would take that away because Romans 8 and verse 1 says that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, there there is no condemnation. But God, I ask that you would convict us this morning. You bring your conviction. Your conviction has love with it. Your conviction has help with it. It's not just telling us all the things that we do wrong, God, but it's providing the help to change those things. And so, Lord Jesus, my prayer this morning is that you would help. You would help us all change. Lord Jesus, that you would help us to focus on the inner parts Lord Jesus, we know we've got the outer right, and we clean up the outside of the cup, and we make sure that it all looks pretty and that it glistens in the sun. But God, sometimes our hearts are far from you. We make it look like that we're close to you, but our hearts are far from you. And God, tonight, this morning, I just pray that you would change that and help us to focus on the inside. Lord Jesus, help us to not force our traditions Onto other people. God, it's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts, Lord Jesus. It's a done religion. You've done it all. You've paid the price, God. And all we've got to do is ask you. All we've got to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And, Lord Jesus, it says that salvation comes. And, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to go back to the biblical Point of view and not add a whole bunch of laws, Lord Jesus. I ask that you would help us to not think we're self righteous. God, we can't do this on our own. God, forgive us today. You say that in your own way. Ask God to forgive you for thinking you can do it. God, forgive us and help us to realize that your cross is the only way to salvation. And God, my biggest prayer. This morning is that we wouldn't get so busy with life. We wouldn't get so busy with the religion that we're a part of, Lord Jesus. And we wouldn't get so focused on a minute part of the Bible, God, that we miss you. God, don't let us miss you. We can't afford to miss you, God. God, I pray that you would attune us to you. Attune our ears to hear your still, small voice, God. Tune our eyes to be able to see where you're at and what you're doing. Lord Jesus, don't let us miss out on you. But God, let us always be open and always see what you're doing and always ready to do whatever you're doing, God. That's my prayer this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, let me just encourage you this morning. You know, Jesus, when he did ministry, most of his ministry was as he went. And I tell the teenagers this all the time. But I'm telling you that. Jesus did ministry as he went. When he was going from point A to point B, he saw somebody's need and he met their need. And so I want to encourage you, we need to live our lives that way as we're going. I'm not asking you to sell all your possessions. I'm not asking you to quit your job and go live on the streets and become a minister. I'm asking you to be a minister wherever you're at. You need to start seeing the Messiah because the Messiah is with you when you go to work. The Messiah is with you when you're going to Walmart. The Messiah is with you when you go see a movie. The Messiah is with you when you're at Incredible Pizza with your wife hanging out on a date night. The Messiah is with you. And what we've got to do is we've got to take the time to act on it, to watch him. So I encourage you as you leave this morning, don't get so busy and don't get so focused on the religious part of it that we miss God. Pay attention to what God's doing and see what God's doing. Bless you as you go. Hug two or three necks. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you're glad that they were at Passion.